also welcome how to speak with us uh, uh, listening to our FM signal here in town and to our live stream in internet please welcome and please open the hymnals on one, uh, number 151 151 Jesus is coming again 151 
Father, we're thankful for reminding us even through this hymn that thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is coming again, and it could be today. We're thankful for the fact that we know that his coming is imminent. We know that there's nothing that needs to happen before he can come. We thank thee for thy long-suffering and waiting to give people opportunity to repent and be saved. And we also look forward to the soon coming of thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that we have the privilege of serving thee and exalting his name in this place, that others can come to know the truth, and we pray that we be faithful to thee in doing that. We pray that our website would work well and our live streaming would work well, that people can hear and respond to the truth. We thank thee for the many countries we can reach into with our live streaming and pray that thy will would be accomplished through these methods we pray for our country of Canada pray for the salvation of many in our governments as well as for doctors and nurses and police officers that many would come to see their need to repent and be saved in these days of grace so we ask that thou guide and direct us here may thy will be accomplished and may we glorify thee in all that is said and done we pray in Jesus name amen And over to 473. 473. <clears throat> Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. 473. <clears throat>
Turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from verses 12 through 17 there this morning. And we'll stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 2, beginning there at verse 12, it says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning again that we have thy word. We're thankful again that we can read it, that we can also study it, and we can know the truth and walk in it. We're thankful that we have a Savior who loves us enough to watch over us and to make sure that we are knowing the truth and following the truth. We're thankful that today... True churches don't need to be any different than what the churches were in the first century. We have the same word of God. We have the same doctrine which is in that word. And we can still walk in truth just as they could. And we're thankful that we have a Savior who is eternal. A Savior who is a shepherd and who is also Lord. And so we pray that as we look at this church in Pergamos... And the message that Jesus had for this church and also for us today, that we would be willing to listen to what our Savior has to say, that we would see the importance of walking in truth and being careful not to allow compromise to gain any foothold in our own lives and in this church. 
May we glorify thee in our thinking and in our response. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is Pastors Cannot Tolerate Compromise. It doesn't mean that pastors don't tolerate it sometimes, but according to God's word, pastors should not tolerate compromise. The last time we looked at the church in Smyrna, and Smyrna, the name Smyrna means myrrh. And Smyrna was situated about 40 miles north of Ephesus. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, you might be able to find that there. It was at one time a Greek city, and Polycarp, who was a pupil of the Apostle John, uh, was a prominent leader in the church in Smyrna, and he was martyred there in 155 A.D. Now Smyrna is called Izmir, and it is a city in western Turkey. And the country of Turkey is a Muslim country, so most likely Izmir is a Muslim city as well. It's one of the, it is the third largest city uh, in that area, with a population of about two million people, and it has uh, one of the largest ports that are located in that part of the world as well. Now today we're looking at Pergamos. And Pergamos means fortified, it means elevated. Pergamos is located <clears throat> about 90 miles north of Smyrna. About 15 miles from the sea, but because there's a river there called the uh, Caicos, it has uh, people can travel from the sea to Pergamos along that river and get there by small watercraft. It's not a big river apparently, but by small watercraft they can traverse that and come to Pergamos. Pergamos was known for its idolatry. They had false gods that were named after important Roman figures. It also had a large library. Books without a knowledge of God are not worth having. We are learning a lot in our country, North America, not just Canada, that in many of the libraries and the schools, as well as the public libraries, they are now promoting material that is completely distorting any truth. They are teaching young children things that are lies, and uh, they are using them to promote a sodomite agenda. Many things going on in the libraries that are not good. Pergamos had a large library, but they didn't know the true God, as we read in this passage. In Acts 17, we find that the people of that time when the Apostle Paul preached there that many of the people were saved and they brought their books of witchcraft together and they burned them. There's a lot of books in our libraries that should be brought together and burned as well. Pergamos was also known for its mosaics. There was a lot of artists in Pergamos and they developed mosaics and had uh, uh, different images in those mosaics. And uh, so there was a lot of craft going on there, a lot of things happening in Pergamos. 
It also had a, a large acropolis, uh, like a stadium, and it had 78 rows, and it could seat 10,000 people. And apparently it was designed in such a way that you could stand at the bottom and speak, and the person on the very top row could hear you well without any amplification. So it was well designed. And of course that uh, uh, place was also used for uh, entertainment for many different things. So entertainment was very important to the people of Pergamos. They invested in this structure and it was very important to them. But it wasn't important to God and God speaks here to the pastor. Again, we said that the angel of the seven churches, each angel was the pastor. And we said that the, that doesn't mean that the pastor is uh, someone who is uh, a spiritual being that floats around and flies around and so on. But the term angel in the Bible means messenger. And the pastor is to be the messenger of God to the people. He doesn't get his message straight from God. We get our messages from the Bible. That's where a pastor is supposed to get his message from. And we are supposed to make that word clear to the people that God sends our way. So the pastor here in Pergamos, he needed to be reminded of who was in charge. And so it says here in verse 12, it says to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write, these things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. So we noted from the beginning of the book that John is the writer of the book of the Revelation. We noted also that it's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the Revelation of St. John the Divine as the heading in many Bibles says. Verse 1 tells us whose revelation it is. And so here in verse 12, John is writing, but Jesus is the one who is speaking. Jesus has a message here for the pastor of the church in Pergamos. And he is described here as the one that has the sharp sword with two edges. Now in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, we are told there that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Jesus Christ here is sharper than any two-edged sword. He knows exactly what's going on here in Pergamos. He knows what's going on in this pastor's life. He wants to encourage this pastor to be true and faithful to him so that the people in Pergamos who are dwelling in Satan's seat, that they can turn from their idolatry and know the truth. And one of the things that is very clear in the word of God is that if we want to help people, we need to give them the truth. We need to understand that the truth is not going to be popular and that people are going to be offended at times by the truth and people will fight against the truth, but the truth is what makes people free. And so people need to know the truth. And this pastor here needed to understand and be reminded that Jesus Christ knew everything about him, and he had some good things to say about this pastor, but he also had some things that needed to be corrected. 
One of the reasons that we said that the angel is not a heavenly being, but that it is a pastor, not just because the word angel means messenger, but we see again in this text here, in verse 16, this angel is told to repent. The heavenly beings, angels, cannot repent. If an angel, the heavenly being, sins, they cannot be forgiven. But people can repent and can be forgiven. And so God is speaking here to the pastor and wanting this pastor to do right so that the people can do right. So in verse 13, our second point is the works of this pastor. In verse 13 it says, I know thy works. So nobody is putting anything over God. In our devotionals that we're putting out every morning, we're studying the book of Job right now. And Job had three friends. And those three friends, they claimed to know Job. They claimed to know what was wrong with Job, why he had the boils, why he lost his family, why his possessions were taken away from him. And they claimed to know exactly what Job's problem was. And they even were so bold as to suggest that they knew better than God what his problem was. And Job, of course, Job was a man who feared God, and Job had some things he needed to learn, but he didn't accept their critique of him because it was false. They didn't listen to him. They didn't know him. They didn't know what was going on, why Job was was suffering with those boils. They didn't know why his family was taken from him and his possessions. But God would reveal that to Job and to these men in the book of Job. And we can learn some things there as well. And we can learn that we need to be careful when we want to help someone, as these three friends thought they wanted to help Job, that we need to know the facts. We can't help someone if we assume things about them without having any facts. And that's what happened with Job's friends. They assumed things about him, but they had no facts to back it up. But Jesus, in our text here, he says, I know thy works. And he can say that because he's God. He's a second person of the Godhead, and he knows everything about you and I. And he knows everything about me. He knows what I do when I'm at my own place. And he knows what I'm doing here now. And he knows whether it adds up. He knows whether I'm being a hypocrite or not. I'm not hiding anything from him. I might be able to hide something from you. But I'm not hiding anything from Jesus. And that's important for a pastor to understand that. That we don't hide anything from God. And we're accountable to God for what we do. The things that I say, the same things that I teach, how I live, I'm accountable to God. I'm going to answer to him for that. And to me, that's very important to be reminded of that, that I'm not a hypocrite and not guilty before God. So it says here, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. So Jesus knew the the pressure that this pastor was under. It says here, even where Satan's seat is. So Pergamos, as we've already noted, idolatry was very prominent in Pergamos. And idolatry, of course, is of the devil. It's not of God. There's only one true God. And that true God is 
revealed to us in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's not polytheism. That's one God in three persons. That's how the Bible presents him. That's who he is. Uh, But idolatry, that's false gods. Baal, Balaam, Asheroth, Zeus, different false gods. And Pergamos was steeped in idolatry. And so Jesus says, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. So this pastor had some good things going here. Even though he was dwelling in a place that was known as Satan's seat, this pastor was holding fast to Jesus' name. He was not failing in that part, which is important. He was not mixing that with the idolatry. He was able to help people to see the importance of truth in the church in Pergamos. And it says there, not only that he was holding fast to Jesus' name, but has not denied my faith. So here, the faith that we need to hold to is not our faith, but God's faith, faith in God. The charismatic movement keeps on trying to tell people, if you had enough faith, you would never be sick. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't have any debt. And they say, you need to have more faith. And, and they never take any blame themselves, the people that claim that to be the healers and so on. They say, well, it's not my fault. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but you just lack faith. Well, here Jesus tells this pastor that his faith was God's faith. His faith was in God. And Jude tells us we need to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It's not a matter of me pumping myself up. It's a matter of who am I trusting? How big is my God? How big is your God? And when it comes to our church and when it comes to the challenges that we faced in the last three years, how big is our God? When our governments tell us that we cannot serve God, how big is our God? Do we honor God and say, I'm sorry, but we must obey God rather than man? Or do we cower and say, okay, okay, we don't want to have a fine, we don't want to have trouble, so we're just going to give in. And we're going to face more of this. The government is not done yet. They have found out that they can get away with a lot of things. The recent inquiry that we had said that our prime minister was justified in taking away people's money and in chasing them off of Parliament Hill with horses and uh, brutally treating people. And so he's not done yet. He'll be doing more. And we need to know what do we stand for and why. Who do we believe in? And are we willing to help other people to know the truth? And so Jesus further mentions Antipas here, who was, it says, Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So two times here, Jesus reminds this pastor, he knows what he's up to, he knows what he's up against, Satan's seat is right there, and Antipas was a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. We're not told anything more about him, we don't know who he was, there's nothing more given about him in the Bible, obviously God doesn't 
didn't think we need any more or he would have given it to us. But he was a faithful martyr. So Antipas was killed for believing in God. That happened several times in the Bible. That happened often even after the Bible was finished. And we can expect that to happen in our time as well. We are seeing a rise in Islam. We are seeing governments that cater to Islam and don't trust in and don't follow the truth, don't believe in the true God. And of course, Islam believes that they must kill those who oppose them. So we can expect that. I can't remember which country it is now. I think it was Sweden. But they were planning to burn a Quran there. And the government stopped them. And yet you can burn Bibles in that country. You can burn any other religious books. But you can't burn the Quran. Now it's foolish to burn the Quran anyway. Uh, you know we don't have to have it. I don't have one. You don't have to be the Quran. doesn't have to have any effect on you whatsoever. And to burn it is just going to incite violence. It doesn't prove anything. Burning the Bible doesn't prove anything either. You don't destroy the word of God just because you burn a Bible. It's still there. It's still powerful. So we don't need to use those messages. But the point is that the, the world governments are fearful of Islam because Islam will kill you if you don't bow to them. Christians don't go around killing people. People should be afraid of the God of the Bible. They should come to know him as their God and have the fear of God in their hearts, which means they should have the reverence of God in their hearts. But people don't because God is patient. He's long-suffering. He warns us in the Bible of the consequences of rejecting him, but he gives man many opportunities to hear from him and to consider his need to be saved. Antipas was one who believed in God, served God, and he died serving God. He was faithful. But then in verse 14, Jesus goes on and he says, But I have a few things against thee. So even though this pastor was holding fast to Jesus' name, he was not denying true faith in God, but he had some things that were not good. And that's the good news about God, that God cares for his people. He wants his people to serve him faithfully. Lost people need to know the truth. When Christians compromise, it affects lost people. It causes lost people to get a wrong understanding of who God is. And so there are a couple of things here that this pastor needed to correct. And it says here in verse 14, Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Now in the book of Numbers, we read about Balaam. And Balaam, if we are not careful, we tend to get the idea that Balaam was a God-fearing man because he communed with God he prophesied about the nation of Israel. God gave him some words to speak about the nation of Israel. But Balaam 
as we noted when we looked at him in the book of Numbers earlier, Balaam would make a very good new evangelical preacher. He was a great compromiser. And he could not, he could not curse the nation of Israel publicly. But what he counseled the king of Moab to do was to get his people to intermarry with the Jews. And through that, he said, you'll break them down. And so here, God condemns Balaam. We know that Balaam was eventually killed in battle by the nation of Israel. And the Bible mentions his name there. God destroyed him. The doctrine of Balaam tells us here that he put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. How did he do that? To eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now we know that an idol is nothing. The Apostle Paul tells us that. An idol is nothing. We know that. But we also know that there are many people who believe that an idol is something. And so if someone were to come into this house, this building here, and tell us, I brought you a meal, I I sacrificed it to Mary, and I want you to eat it. We would be wise to say, no thank you, go and take your food somewhere else. Now we know that Mary was the mother of Jesus Christ. But we know that the Catholics have made an idol out of Mary. And so if someone tells us that they've offered something to an idol, then we should stay away from it. Because it encourages them that their idolatry is good. And so it tells us here that eating things sacrificed unto idols was a stumbling block for the nation of Israel. And not only that, but that also caused them to commit fornication. Now fornication in the Bible is used in two ways. Fornication is used in the physical sense of a man and a woman who are not married, who commit immorality, that's fornication. But fornication is also referred to in the Bible at times of people who worship other gods instead of the true God. It's also considered fornication at times. So in both senses, the nation of Israel was being broken down in the days of Balaam. They were being broken down by this bad counsel that Balak was given by Balaam. And the nation of Israel was being tempted to worship idols, and some of them did, and they were also committing fornication. And God was against that. And this pastor here seems to have had a weakness in that he was allowing this kind of false teaching to enter into his church. Now, in a church... Any true church doesn't have a sign on their door that says that certain people can't enter. But it does have policies, it does have a constitution which says to be a member of this church, here's what you need to believe. Any true church does that. And the person that wants to join that church needs to agree, yes, I agree with what you say the Bible says, and I want to be a member of this church. This pastor seems to have allowed people to become part of this church 
who were following the doctrine of Balaam. So what it says here, thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. And then he connects that in verse 15 with the word so. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So there's no ambiguity here with God. What is God's position in regard to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Now the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, again, was a doctrine of compromise. It was a matter of of following along the same lines as Balaam and what he taught, but it was a compromise of the word of God. Some people have taken the word Nicolaitan and broken it down and talks about people rule. So if we use that thinking, we know that a lot of churches operate under a democratic system where the membership votes on what the policies of the church will be what direction the church is going to go, and so on. No true church can run as a democracy. It doesn't mean people have nothing to say, but the word of God is supreme. And so the church needs to run according to what God's word says, not according to popular opinion. So when it comes to do we buy new chairs for the church or do we get a different piano, yes, the people can have a voice. They can have input into how much do we spend on these things. But when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to how and what we do in regard to the word of God, that has to come from the Bible. We can't vote on that and say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that's fine, but here's what God's word says. But this pastor here had a problem in that he was allowing those that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans to influence this church. God says, Jesus says, these things, I hate them. Now, that's important for us today as well. We need to hate evil. We don't hate people, but we hate evil. And in our country... We have all kinds of things that our government is labeling as hate speech. And much of what they label as hate speech has nothing to do with hatred, but they are just trying to silence anyone that wants to say something that they don't like. But when God says he hates something, that's important for us to pay attention to that. And if God hates it, we should hate it. If we're saved, we should hate that. We don't want that because it's going to destroy us. We know that idolatry, playing around with idols, weakens the faith of a child of God. We're studying uh, Solomon's life in our Sunday school, and we see there how that Solomon, his heart was turned away from God by his strange wives who were idolaters, and he allowed that to infiltrate his life. He should have never married them, But he allowed that to infiltrate his life and to break him down. And God judged him for that. So idolatry will break down a true child of God. We need to stay away from it. We cannot have that in our lives. Compromise is not something that we should allow in our lives either. Yes, we can have more people if we compromise... 
but what are we gaining through that? If we have a weak church, we might as well close our doors. We need to be a voice of truth to this community. And on our website, we need to be a, a voice of truth. People need to know the truth. And that's what God raises up churches for, is to teach the truth. The third thing that we see here is Jesus' counsel to this pastor. So one of the things that we learn in the Bible is that God doesn't just point out where a person is wrong, but he also tells them how to make it right. And that's very important. There's a lot of people that know how to be critical. They can point out, oh, you did that wrong. But they don't know how to show a person how to do it right. Now, they may be able to say, this is what you should do. They show them on paper, but they don't show it in their life. They, they can't follow through with it in their own life. They're very critical of others, but they're not willing to set a good example. Follow me. The Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus called 12 disciples and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So as the disciples followed Jesus, they learned how to behave themselves, what to believe, and they learned how to deal with people in helping people to see the importance of truth. So when we look at Jesus' words here to this pastor in Pergamos, the first word in verse 16 is repent. Now again, if we go back in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Bible gives us a very clear definition of what repentance is. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, it tells us there, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how that ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's what repentance is. Repentance is, biblical repentance is a turning to God. And when we are turning to God, obviously we are turning away from something. And in Thessalonians here, it says, ye turn to God from idols. When we turn to God, the Calvinist says that a person cannot repent until they are saved. That's what the Calvinist says. We don't have the power to repent because we're dead. They take Ephesians 2, ye were dead in trespasses and sins, and they distort that and suggest that a person cannot turn to God until they're saved. And that's why they, they believe that some people are elected, they're chosen to be saved, and because of that, they can follow God. The others who are not chosen cannot follow God. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's heresy. But it tells us here that the Thessalonian believers, they turn to God from idols. When a person turns to God, and we have a picture of that in the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, both of the thieves, when you read the account in Matthew, both of the thieves were railing against Jesus. They both started out the same. They were both thieves, they were both murderers. They were criminals who deserved the death penalty. 
However, as they hung on that cross and as they observed Jesus, one of those thieves, the Bible tells us, he turned to Jesus. That's repentance. He turned to Jesus. And when he turned to Jesus, he stopped mocking Jesus. His focus was on turning to Jesus, not on trying to humanistically stop mocking Jesus. He turned to Jesus, and in turning to Jesus, he asked Jesus to remember him when he entered into his kingdom. And Jesus, being the merciful high priest that he is, he answered that thief and said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You see, the thief turned to the place of help. Uh, rather than Judas, in contrast to Judas, who, when he knew that he had done wrong, he turned to the chief priests. He didn't turn to Jesus. And that's why he didn't find any help. But the thief turned to Jesus and was forgiven and was given eternal life. In our text, the pastor here is not a lost man, but he's got some things that he's practicing that are sin, that he needs to stop. How's he going to stop them? He's going to stop them when he repents, when he turns to God, turns to Jesus, turns to God, and asks God for forgiveness for these things that he's doing wrong. Same thing. He's not needing to be saved again. He's already saved but he's lacking in some areas of his life. And he needs to correct them. And he corrects them by repenting, by turning to God. Again, it's not a humanistic thing where I need to drum up enough faith and, and get enough boldness or whatever to be able to fight off this, this sin that I've got. No, I turn to God and by his grace and by his power, I turn away from the sin. So it says there, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly. So Jesus here counsels this pastor and he tells him, here's what you need to do, and you need to do it now. He's not telling him this is a long process. He says, repent. And he tells him that if you don't repent, I'm going to come quickly. I'm not going to give you any more warnings. I'm not going to blow the horn and put out the red flag or the white flag or whatever color flag you want. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to come quickly. So when God tells us something in his word, he expects us to act on it. He doesn't expect us to dilly-dally and say, well, when I have time, I might get around to it. We know how that works in the physical realm. We're told to do something, and we know we should do it, and we can do it right away, but we put it off. And we say, well, I'll, yeah, I'll get around to it sometime. And the next thing you know, we forget. We're good at that. And so God tells this, this pastor here, he needs to repent. And if he doesn't, Jesus is going to come quickly. And he says here, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So Jesus is going to take care of this problem himself. If this pastor won't do it, he will. The sad reality is that 
in Pergamos, this church that Jesus addressed here isn't there anymore. Every one of the seven churches that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation, none of them are there now. How come? Well, churches get old, you know, people die off, yeah, but new people come in. But what happened is that the pastors did not take heed to the word of God. And because of that, it can't stand. Now that doesn't mean that there are no churches in Pergamos. I wouldn't know if there are or not. I haven't read that there are. But it means that this one is not there. And many times you find in a community, you find a building that calls itself a church, but it doesn't honor God. And that's a problem. That's a problem because people then cannot find a place. Where can I go to learn the truth? Where can I find the truth? And that's what any true church is for. To be there for people to be able to find the truth. To be able to learn what is the truth. We are living in a time of a lot of deception. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school a little bit. There's a lot of deception in our world today. Where is the truth? And it sometimes takes a while for people to realize where the truth is. They're looking. We have people that we have reached out to and they said, yeah, I was looking. I've been looking for the truth and and I'm glad that you came. I'm glad that I could find the truth. And God is reaching out. God wants people to be saved. And it's up to those of us that are saved to be faithful to him and to help people to know the truth. Verse 17, Jesus reminds us again. He says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So we all have ears. But what are we using those ears for? What are we doing with the ears that God has given to us? What are we listening to? And here, this pastor, and not just the pastor, but it says, he that hath an ear. So anybody in that church in Pergamos needed to listen, and you notice the word spirit there is capital S. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through the word of God to convince the person of what is right and what is true. John chapter 16 tells us that. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And he works in the heart of the individual to impress upon him the truth. God's word is truth. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He speaks of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's the one who is able to forgive sins. And so Jesus here says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And we've talked about that as well, that the Bible speaks 
often about churches. It doesn't talk about a universal church. It talks about local churches. This church is located in Pergamos. Last week we looked at Smyrna. Before that we looked at Ephesus. We're going to look at Thyatira and at other churches yet. They're local churches. In heaven, all the Christians come together and become one body. But on this earth, we're local churches. And so it tells us here, the Spirit is speaking to the churches, to true churches. He's not speaking in the United Church. He's not speaking in the Catholic Church. He's speaking in true churches. And yes, churches are made up of born-again Christians. But churches also meet somewhere. Jesus is addressing the pastor of the church in Pergamos. So this church is meeting somewhere. People can know where to find them. And so it tells us here, To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Three things that Jesus promises here to the overcomer. And again, the overcomer is the one who is saved. We overcome through walking faithfully with God as his children. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. We are overcomers when we are saved and walking humbly and faithfully with God. So it tells us here to the overcomer, to the one that's faithful like Antipas was, to the faithful individual, three things. It says here, will I give to eat of the hidden manna? And will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written. So three things, the hidden manna. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. He's that manna that he spoke of in John chapter 6 that many of the Jews took offense to. They didn't want to eat of his flesh. They didn't understand what he was saying. They weren't interested in hearing what he was saying with their ears. They only heard with their physical ear. And Jesus said, you need to eat my flesh. And they said, we're not going to eat you. They didn't understand, as Jesus told them later, the words that I speak are spirit. He was talking about spiritually absorbing, taking Jesus in and trusting in him as your savior and letting him rule your life. When you eat bread, the nutrients in that bread help you to live. They give you strength. Jesus Christ, when a person is saved and believes in him, he indwells them and he enables them to serve him. And so the hidden manna is hidden to those who don't want to believe. It's a special manna. It's the true manna. It's not the wafer that the Catholics take and the priest holds it up and says, this is now the body of Jesus when you eat it. It's that special manna that by spiritually believing in God that we partake of him and he fills us and directs us. Then the white stone. Now, in Bible times and in past history, when a person was accused of a crime and was taken to court and judged, if the verdict came back, you're not guilty, 
they would give that person a white stone as a token of their innocence. We've all heard the opposite, that you're going to get a lump of coal because you're such a mean person. What color is coal? Black. So in the courts in the past, if you were found guilty, you were given a black stone. You're guilty. But the white stone was a picture of your innocent. And again, how does a person become spiritually innocent? When we're saved. We're justified in Christ. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. So our purity is not in us, but it's in Christ. Jesus Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to all those that believe in him. So we're, we're made pure in him, not in ourselves. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. We could go to many places, but in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20... <clears throat> It says there, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's that white stone. Why could Paul say that? Because he was saved. Christ was living in him. The life that he was living was not his former pharisaical life. Now he had life in Christ. And because of that, he could preach the gospel in truth. And he could help people to see the importance of true salvation. He could endure the sufferings that he faced because he believed in God. His life was in God. And the third thing that we see in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17... It tells us there, in the stone, a new name written. Now again, we're not told what that new name is. But we're told that there's a new name that Jesus writes in this white stone. And it says, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So it's not a plaque. You know, there are people today that they... They want to have their name up on a plaque and they, yeah, look at this is this degree I got over here and that's that degree I got over there and I'm recognized over here and my name's over there too. There are people that they want their name plastered all over the place. But Jesus says there's a name written in this white stone that's only known to the person that receives it. You see, one of the things that Christians need to be reminded of often is it's not about us. It's about Jesus. You remember after Jesus' resurrection that he met with the disciples on the seashore and he turned his attention to Peter and he challenged Peter three times whether he loved him or not and then he told Peter of some things that were going to happen to him in the future. And Peter saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him, and he said, well, what about him? And Jesus says, never mind him. I'm talking to you. You see, Peter wanted to make sure that John also had to do what Peter had to do. And you see, we're each called 
to serve God. And we each have a task that God wants us to do. Not everybody is called to be a pastor. Not everybody is called to be a pianist. You wouldn't want me behind the piano. So we each have our calling. And what we need to do is be faithful in that calling and realize that our reward is there, but it's not for us to boast about. Because we're here to serve God. We're here to honor him. And he gives us a name. Tells us that. A new name written. Which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. That's a blessing. There's a promise here that God is giving to this pastor. And to this church. And to us today. That we can listen to what God has to say here to the church in Pergamos. And we can understand that there are challenges that we're going to face. And we cannot be so focused on one thing that we overlook other things. We need to be careful that we are holding to God's truth in every area. And that's why... We took the name fundamentalist out of our church name because the fundamentals focus on certain things, but they ignore other things that are equally important to the fundamentals. And so we want to be careful that we want to focus on everything that God's word says. We don't want to have some excuse while we are just following by the way, the, the fundamentalists, I have their three, five volumes at home, but they're all written by men. So, you know, God's word is the truth. Like I said earlier, we have a constitution as a church too. But our constitution doesn't supersede the word of God. And so the word of God has to be foundational. So if you want to know what we believe, well, we believe the word of God. So if you want to start reading the Bible, then you can ask me, well, here's what the Bible says here. Do you believe that? Yes. Here's what it says. Do you believe that? Yes. And then you should be able to see, well, you say you believe that. Are you practicing that? There's a big difference. I can say a lot of things, but am I doing them? And same for you. If you're a Christian, are you doing what the Bible says? And this pastor, he was very good in some things, but he had some areas that, that Jesus said, you need to change that now. And so we need to be careful as well. If there's something that we're doing that's against the word of God, we need to change that now. Not tomorrow, not next week. We don't have to try to, try to groom the people and prepare them for it. We just need to say, okay, this is what we've been doing. I realize it's wrong. It's over. That's the biblical way of doing things. And so this pastor, he needed to correct some things right away because Jesus was not pleased at all with what was going on. And then there's also, he reminds us of the rewards, the blessings that we have in serving him. And you notice that these blessings that we have in serving him, none of them are material. 
The Bible tells us to lay up our treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt, where thieves can't break through and steal. We have a treasure that is eternal. And we need to be reminded of that. This treasure that we have that's eternal is worth far more than all the money the world can offer us. It's worth far more than all the things that we can buy. And so we need to... We need to make sure that we're following the truth, building the truth into our lives, and thus able to help others to see the importance of God's truth as well. That's what our world needs today. Many people need to hear the truth, and they need to know the truth. And for those of us that have the truth, we need to be careful that we walk in the truth so that we can help others to also know the true God. So if you're listening today, whether it's here or whether by our live stream, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day to accept him. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. If you have questions, if you're here today, you can ask me. If you're listening by live stream, you can email me. But you can get your answers. Look into the word of God. The word of God is truth. And believe what God says. And follow what God says. And for those of us that are saved, let's be encouraged to walk faithfully with God. To follow him and to glorify him. To help others to know the truth. While there's still opportunity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father... We're thankful this morning that we have the truth, thankful that we can know the truth, that we can be forgiven, we can be saved, we can be blessed in following thee. I pray that we would learn to hate the things that thou dost hate, and we'd love the things that that thou dost love, that we'd know thy peace and truth in our hearts and help others to see the blessing of knowing a true and holy God who loves them and who's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, died on the cross for their sins, made it possible for them to be forgiven and saved. And so we pray that anyone listening today that's not saved, they might see the need to turn to thee in humility and trust in the finished work of thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for their salvation, that they could know thy peace and blessing today. May thy will be accomplished in each one that's listening today, we pray in Jesus' name.